Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Luisa Ulrich Verdeber to the show. Luisa is an artist, engineer, inventor, and founder of Angela Tech, a company dedicated to making renewable energy more accessible to those who need it most by taking inspiration from nature. She is currently a senior engineering and management major at Clarkson University and has been a welding artist since the age of 12. Her dual passions for art and science have led her to the field of biomimicry and drive her to ask new questions and find answers in odd places. Louisa, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Louisa, where in the world are you? Uh, well, currently I'm in uh, northern Vermont. Um, I was born and raised here, uh, but I'm currently a senior at Clarks University, which is in upstate New York. And I'm super excited because I think, if I'm not mistaken, you're the youngest person I've had on the podcast so far. So I'm really excited about really? that. That's, well, that's kind of an honor. Thank you. I guess. <laughs> of course. So, Louisa, I like to open the show by asking my guest the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? Hmm. Um, can I share multiple things or do I have to pick just one? It's all yours. Take it away. Okay. Um, I think maybe the most interesting thing about me is uh, I was born four months early. Um, so instead of nine months, I was born at five months. Um, and that had whole sorts of long, crazy stories and health complications. But um, I turned out great. And that experience, which I of course can't remember, but has always given me a great sense of uh, trying to give back to the world and put something great into the world. Um, and I've put that into this project, I've put that into other projects, um, but I'm always trying to add something more meaningful to the world than there was before. Well, you've touched my heart already, and I'm so glad that you shared that. Um, and speaking of your current project, can you share a little bit about your current endeavor? Yes. So uh, my current project is called Undulate Tech. Um, it is a renewable energy company that I founded in 2016, um, based off of trying to find renewable sources of energy through in, uh, by um, excuse me, trying to find renewable sources of energy um, that are inspired by nature. Um, so uh, the current model we're working on right now is a towerless wind turbine that is inspired by cuttlefish. And for those that might not be aware, can you share what a cuttlefish is? Yes. So a cuttlefish is a cousin of a squid. So squids, you know, they kind of have that long body and tentacles and they swim around. Cuttlefish are a lot like them. They're a little smaller and they live in reefs. And they have this funny little fin that goes around their little like tube-shaped body that helps them swim around. And so how does that work? So it's really hard to describe without a visual. But um, so... Imagine how like a skirt flutters or like a flag flows in the wind, that kind of undulating motion that's attached to their body. And that's what actually allows them to move back and forth and through the water. And we've taken and that so, basic design, that undulating fin, um, and kind of applied that in reverse, where instead of using it for locomotion, we run a flow past it and it generates power. So hundreds, if not thousands of people look at wind towers all day long. What inspired you to come up with a different idea for a wind tower? Um, so I actually started in high school. Um, when I was in high school, I 
went through high school a little differently. Um, I knew coming into high school, I'd gone to normal you know, elementary schools, middle schools, and I knew that I really, really wanted to pursue my passions. Um, at the time, that was art and science, and it still is today. And I knew that I couldn't get that, get the kind of exploratory, um, project-based learning that I really, really wanted by going to normal school. But I also didn't really want to be homeschooled because I knew that that could be really isolating. And so I went to my principal as like a little 14 year old and I had like a diagram drawn out and I had like a little presentation and I told him, you know, Hey, I want to do this experiential learning. Um, and at the time, Vermont, the state I grew up in, um, was kind of changing how they looked at education and their education policy. And so the, the principal at my school was like, Hey, this is really cool. Luckily he was a very open-minded guy. And he said, let's try this out. You'll be a pilot student for this kind of programs. And so all through high school, I got to take regular classes. I took AP classes and then I would have two or two or so hours in the day that were left for me to do projects of my own design. Um, and for the first two years, I covered all the basic classes in the school. Like I took health class through this and I took earth science through this and I took a couple other courses through this that were like the required ones. And um, but then after about two years, I had all this time to do kind of whatever I wanted to learn, whatever I wanted. And at that time, my family was debating whether to get a solar panel or a wind turbine for our property. Um, Cause we live out in the uh, kind of rural part of Vermont and we wanted to kind of go more off grid. And something that really, really shocked me as I was like watching them go through this process was how, astronomically expensive, even really, really small scale renewable energy is. Um, you know, for example, like a 10 kilowatt wind turbine, which is the, one of the smaller ones you'd see on like a, on a building site or near a house or near a farm. It would power, you know, one or two buildings. Um, those cost upwards of $40,000. And that's before you install it. That's before you get insurance or permits. And so I just was looking at this huge paywall and I was like, no one's ever going to become invested. No normal people are going to become invested, really invested in renewable energy if it's so far out of everyone's price range. And um, at the time I was thinking about this, I was thinking of this, and I was also digging deep into biology and I love animals, I've always loved animals. And I had just watched a documentary on cuttlefish <laughs> the night before. And I was in AP bio class and I was supposed to be taking notes on the Krebs cycle or whatever it was. I don't really remember because I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> and I was just doodling and I was thinking about this problem. And I doodled this kind of fin shape that you, you know, is on the side of a cuttlefish. And I was like, well, what if that's what you generate power from? What if instead of on a turbine, you mount it on a building directly on the sides of buildings or on the roofs of buildings? And that's what generates power. And so that little doodle over the past five years has grown into multiple prototypes and, um, and awards and different accelerator programs. And it's just, it's been an amazing ride, but yeah, that was the initial inspiration was me thinking about, you know, how can we make renewable energy actually accessible to people and what can we take, can we take an inspiration from nature and kind of plug that into the problem? It really is an inspiring and beautiful story from the, technical aspect, how does it work? So as I said before, kind of imagine an upright sheet. Um, currently we're using cloth um, and it's supported by arms, by a ligature. 
And then that is connected to a central shaft that as the arms undulate back and forth, as that sail undulate back and forth, back and forth, it powers a generator. So um, instead of being blades in this circular cross section, it's actually, if you look at it from the front, it's like a triangle, um, like an upside down triangle. And um, that kind of undulating motion, kind of like a sail would on a sailboat, it kind of self-tacks and it actually will start itself in a breeze and it will start running. And for those of you that are struggling to imagine it in your mind, I will put a link to your website in the show notes. Yes. I really appreciate that explanation. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of visual um, and a lot of GIFs that make it really clear what's happening because it is hard to imagine. And, you know, in full disclosure, Louisa and, Louisa and I had a conversation about two weeks ago. And I have to tell you, ever since we spoke, I've been looking around. I take a daily walk and I've been looking around at all other aspects of nature and just the way I, you know, I, I try to watch the wind as it goes through the leaves of trees and different different objects and just try to imagine what you've built and other opportunities to capture that energy and then transfer it in a more, I'm going to say, aesthetic way than wind towers, sorry, wind mills. Yes. Oh, that That's so touching to me. I, I love hearing people's ideas. I love talking to people about this because everyone I talk to has a different idea for how you could use this or a different idea for how you could tweak the design or a new application for it. And so um, to me, it's just so fulfilling to talk to people about it. I really appreciate you sharing. So, you know, our show is really focused on the why behind what you're doing. And you kind of touched on it a little bit at the beginning of the show. But if you can elaborate a little more, there could be, you know, so many other things you could be doing right now. You're out of high school, in college. Why is this project, why does this mean so much to you? Um. I think because at the time I thought of it, and, and even today, I, as I said before, my my main goal with any project I do is to bring, you know, something meaningful into the world. Um, I think I get that inspiration from my art. Um, I was an artist for uh, all through high school and still am now, and that process of creating something tangible and meaningful that brings people joy is just electric and addicting. And for me with this project, I really, really do see it as an opportunity to make um, small scale renewables really accessible to people. Um, One of my main challenges and main design constraints for this is that I want to make it um, as cost effective as possible to build and to make and to set up Um, because I want this, I can really see this being um, easily deployed and built on site in places that don't have access to a centralized grid system. Um, so whether it's places that have more decentralized uh, grid systems, like a lot of countries in Africa or remote places um, in the United States for people who are living off grid or out in the Midwest, um, I can see it as having a lot of varied applications. And, and, and for me, that varied application and getting renewable energy more accessible to people that need it most is my main driver for this. And, um, and also from the research end of things, I haven't seen anyone doing critical work with this type of design. Um, there are a few people out there that are playing with this type of design, but more from a locomotive standpoint, making kind of like underwater drones, but nothing from the standpoint of how do we make this actually usable to people all over the world? So one of my jobs as an interviewer is to push a little harder. So why is it important to you? that people have accessibility to inexpensive renewable power? I think, um, 
That's a good question. I think having access to reliable electricity in this day and age is bordering on a right. Um, and there are so many people in the world. Uh, I think the other day I was looking up statistics, but there are still roughly a million people on the planet that don't have access to electricity. Um, that's a million people that could be running businesses that could be supporting their families. That's a million children that could be going to school. It's a million children that could be studying outside of school. And so from my view, making sure that renewable energy is accessible to so many people is almost a humanitarian issue um, in that it would level the playing field and give so, so many people a leg up. Um, and from the renewable standpoint, um, there's the point of, you know, having green energy is just better for the planet. It's better for the longevity of humanity and the planet itself and our coexistence. And so I wanted to create something that was easy to make and easy to build and easy to implement that would help people and make the world a better place, not only for the people using it, but just in sense of uh, sustainability. I don't know if that's as, de as, as a deep of an answer as you want. I can, I can go deeper. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, switching gears a little bit, one of the questions I like to ask my guest is advice to the audience, but I'm going to change it up a little bit for you. Okay. It seems like your parents were very encouraging of your projects. Can you share how that played into, you know, your confidence in doing what you've done? Yeah. So we talked about this in our conversation a couple of weeks ago, but um, and I'll read it right. Um, so when I was growing up, my parents um, worked uh, for the Fish and Wildlife, uh, uh, Vermont Fish and Wildlife here. And their main job while working with them was rehabbing wildlife. So what that meant was if a deer got hit by the road but had a baby deer that was fine, we would take in that, that baby animal and take care of it. We would do this with all sorts of animals. Um, we did this with moose, deer, I think we had a skunk at one point. It was maybe an ill-advised decision. <laughs> um, foxes, a porcupine. And, um, and so I just grew up in this like almost storybook world of having a backyard full of animals. And from that young age, my parents, as you can probably guess from raising all these animals, were huge natural history nerds. And so from that young age, they would always encourage me to learn and be curious. I was always flipping over logs to find bugs and asking what the bug was or why it was under the log. And they were just incredibly encouraging to me to keep asking questions and to keep learning things. And that kind of motivation has followed me through almost everything I've done, you know, asking, why does this do this? Or can we combine this and that? Or, you know, is there a better solution to this problem? Um, and you know, their encouragement has meant the world to me. And I don't think I would have come to the conclusions I've come to, to create this idea and to create this project if they hadn't been behind me the whole time saying, yeah, you can do it. Or, okay, you're okay. So that, that experiment failed, but you know, that's what science is. You got to keep it. You got to keep going. Um, and so they have met, they, they still mean the world to me and their encouragement has, has meant the world to me through this whole process. It sounded like your principal too was um, very open to your ideas. Yes, yes. That I've I have been extraordinarily lucky to find us to meet a string of people that are willing to kind of uh, humor me and my strange ideas. <laughs> so then I'm going to ask the advice question: 
if you could speak to a forum of parents, mm -hmm. what advice would you give them? If you could speak to a forum of educators, what advice would you give them? So two separate questions. For parents, I think, um, I don't have kids, so I don't, I feel like I don't really have authority to say this, but, uh, I would say that if your kid has a passion, if they show a real interest in something, whatever that is, whether it's like my nephew who loves, loves dinosaurs or me who really loved really anything, honestly, whatever that is, do your best to encourage them at every moment. Um, you know, whether that's, you know, saying, hey, okay, all right, they've got a question with this bug. All right, I'm going to go find the bug book because we are the family that has the bug book. Or, you know, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Let's look it up and then sit next to them and look it up. Because having that, those parental figures be truly interested in what you're interested in is a self-fulfilling cycle. Um, where a few of those people behind you that are saying, you can do it. You have to keep going. You, you just keep, keep learning then you will want to keep learning. Um, and it's tough if they ask weird questions because all kids ask weird questions. But, and if you don't know the answer, that's okay because then you can learn it together and that creates an even more meaningful experience. Um, I think for me, some of my most cherished memories with my parents are when, you know, there was one day where me and my dad took apart an owl pellet together and neither of us knew what was going to be inside it. I think he might've pretended not to know I was five, but you know, um, and you know, that kind of co-collaboration, co-learning together, I think is really, really valuable. It really sticks in, it has stuck in my mind at least, um, and has kept me going whenever I've felt stuck or, or been really disappointed by the outcome of an, experience, of an experiment, because I know that if I talk to them about it, then they can say, okay, well, that sucks, but, you know, what can we do next? You know, we know that you're this smart person. We know that you have these interests. We're not going to let those go. Um and I think for educators, kind of the same thing. I think I've been really lucky to have found educators and mentors in my life that fill that same very encouraging role uh, where, you know, I, I showed an interest in something and they're like, okay, I'm going to make sure that you perform what I know you can perform at and make you ask questions you might not want to ask or give you answers to things you might want to not know, but it's the right answer. And we're going to find find a way to get get that knowledge to you and um like with my principal it also takes some open-mindedness my principal was really open-minded when i came in as a 14 year old kid and, and asked him you know hey can i do this and um yeah, i think educators and with parents it takes you know flexibility and encouragement and um, maybe almost the same passion as your kid has or that student has um, not necessarily for that same subject, but for them to be interested in that subject. I really appreciate you sharing both. Going back to your current endeavor, where are you from a stage perspective? And is there anything that my audience can do to help you? Yeah. So right now, um, well, times are strange uh, right now, this past month, but um over the past few months, I've been working with uh, an organization called the Biomimicry Institute. Um, biomimicry is the general term for taking inspiration from nature and applying it to design and engineering problems. And they're an organization that's kind of like the forefront organization for biomimicry education and programs and conferences and all these kinds of things. And um, 
last spring, I entered into their Biomimicry Launchpad, which is a business accelerator program specifically for uh, biomimicry startups. And I won a spot along with 12 other teams. And all through the fall, it was kind of a course structure. I took it basically as a course um, uh, through my junior or senior year. And um, and the culmination of that was a, a trip to Panama. Where all the teams went to Panama and we had this wonderful week where we learned about each other's projects and pitched to potential uh, investors and at a conference. And it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And um, that opportunity so far has been wonderful. I learned so, so many things about business, about biomimicry, and just learning so many things from the other teams that I got to meet. Um, the meeting those people was an invaluable experience. And uh, where I'm at right now is kind of uh, rolling off the wave of that high. Um, I've gotten other opportunities. One of those is uh, being on this podcast, which I'm so grateful for. I'm so happy for this opportunity. Um, another is currently the actual physical prototype um, of the Angela generator is in the Museum of Design uh, in Atlanta um, as part of their biomimicry exhibit. But that will be coming back hopefully in May and near the end of May, and I can start testing. Um, I've had some slight redesign tweaks over the past few months. As part of the biomimicry program, um, they really asked participants to dig into, like you asked, why are you doing this? Is this the right source of inspiration? Are there other sources and other creatures in nature that are uh, maybe better suited to the problem you're trying to solve? And um, I took that question and I went back through the scientific literature and um I found several papers. I found a professor, uh, I believe his name is Alexander Smits from Princeton. I might have that wrong. But um, he works and has worked for the past 20 or so years looking at the hydrodynamics of uh, manta rays. And I was reading his papers, I was reading these papers, I had this kind of aha moment where I don't know if many people know this. I forget that I'm such a huge nature nerd sometimes. But uh, manta rays are migratory. So they almost never, never stop swimming. They swim all across the world. And if you can picture a manta ray in your head, like, you know, the big trapezoid-shaped creatures, well, actually more like a diamond. And they just swim their whole lives. They have these big sweeping fins on either side of them. And I was looking at these papers, I was looking at pictures of manta rays, and I was wondering, is that a better inspiration for this, um, uh, for this design? You know, they're migratory swimmers. It's a more efficient... Uh, design for them to move long distances. And if you're trying to generate power from an efficient constant source, it would be better to use a more efficient shape. And so um, in January, I redesigned the current prototype to mimic more closely manta rays versus cuttlefish. Um, so the sail is a lot bigger. It's much more triangular shaped. The wavelength of that undulation is lower. And so once the prototype gets back from the museum uh, over the summer, I'm going to be doing tests on that um, to see if that design has any significant differences uh, to the past design. Um, and if that works out, then I'll be moving more in the direction and doing more optimization. But right now, as far as prototyping goes, I'm kind of at that testing different things out and trying to optimize. So, Luisa, this has been a great conversation is there anything that we have not explored that you'd like to talk about or share before we go? Um, I think that if there's a message I want to leave people, 
is that if you have a passion, if you have some idea that's just infectious, find some way, find some time in your day to go after it. It doesn't have to be a lot of time. It can be, hey, you're really passionate about knitting. Okay, knit a little bit or paint a little bit or tinker a little bit in your garage. I think that I, I don't think there's anyone in the world that wouldn't benefit from exploring their passions a little bit more. I really appreciate the fact that you followed your passion and thank you again for being a guest on our show. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. And if you like what you heard, please give us a rating and review at Apple Podcast. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production. And if you want to show your support and help us grow, please share with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle.